Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to remind you of all the different ways you can get your hands on one of my designs. Impact Fashion is a line of size-inclusive, modest clothing available in sizes 2 through 28. I personally design and pattern every single piece in the collection so that it is fitted to perfection and every single piece runs the same. That means that once you know your size, that is your size in every single piece in the collection. Pretty cool, no? You could shop the collection online at impactfashionnyc.com. Shipping is totally free in the U.S. and the return policy is, if I do say so myself, better than Amazon. You have 30 days to make a decision and don't even have to pay return shipping or any sort of annoying restocking fee. Impact Fashion can also be found at the address at American Dream Mall. The address is a curated, modest department store and definitely worth a visit if you are not an online shopping type of person. The American Dream Mall is located right next to the Meadowlands Sports Complex in New Jersey, and to get to the address, you're going to want to park in Lot C, Level 3. Make a left when you walk in, and you'll see the address on your right. I'm always happy to chat, whether that's to answer your sizing questions or just get to know each other better. Find me on Instagram and TikTok at impact.fashion.nyc or on WhatsApp status at 516-953-9391. You can also email me. It's rifky, R-I-V-K-Y, at impactfashionnyc.com. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners. And on today's show, I sit down with the founder of Mrs. Gold Farb's Unreal Deli to discuss her vegan deli meat. She shares how she ties veganism into her Torah practice, how she got her new product onto the market, and her experiences on Shark Tank. Jenny Goldfarb, or Mrs. Goldfarb, as she is known, is the granddaughter of a deli owner who went vegan, which to me is, sounds pretty sacrilegious. Her journey through veganism, religion, and business is one that I personally found quite interesting, and I hope that you enjoy it as well. I was very outgoing. I was involved in many, many different activities from softball to Girl Scouts to modeling and acting to debate club when I got a little bit older. Uh, all, whatever I could kind of get signed up for, I was doing a little bit of a renaissance kid, which I think instructed some of what I'm up to today. Um, yeah, I had a lot of feist. We gotten too many fights with friends, had to work on that in my older years. Anyway, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite the upbringing. Very busy, I'll say that. I, I am sure. And I actually relate to a lot of what you said, especially the fights with friends. That took me a minute to figure out as, <laughs> as well. Uh, talk to me about what you thought you would do when you grew up. Funny, I uh, I oftentimes I, I have like a, quite a couple of journals. I was talking about how I wanted to be a baker and how I was excited actually about the food world. Then there were a few years where I was excited about psychology when I was maybe 10, 11 years old. I thought I might become a psychologist for a little while. I think I wanted to be a dentist or even a rabbi. Uh, but anyway, here we are. <laughs> yeah, and here we are. And you're the founder of this this really cool product called Unreal Deli, which is in this kind of like vegan fake meat space. Uh, and I'd love if you could tell me a little bit more about how that came to be and why you felt like it was something that needed to exist. Sure. So uh, 
I grew up really eating everything. Um, and then I actually got really into Torah in my 20s. I spent a year living in Jerusalem and I was eating only kosher food for many, many years. And uh, emphasis on the deli meat. My great grandpa was a deli owner. And uh, and I just kind of knew from the best corned beef, pastrami, all the meats. And uh, about eight years ago, I had one Facebook friend that started sharing videos of what was happening to these animals on these farms, uh, which includes kosher farms and all sorts of regular farms uh everything from you know meat production to dairy and eggs and even fish and i started seeing this footage and i just couldn't believe my eyes i said this must be some kind of aberration i must be seeing like the one extreme shot that exists and as i did more research undercover investigations documentaries it was just overwhelmingly clear that uh these abuses that we all sort of seem to tolerate we only do because it happens so far behind closed doors we don't really want to acknowledge that maybe there's something bad happening there and it's really so much worse than you could even ever imagine uh and so uh knowing the the torah the important line in the torah that we shouldn't cause any undue suffering to animals when i saw what was happening i i realized there's just no way to unsee this stuff or to reconcile this ethically uh, it sent me on this journey to uh, reconfigure my entire cooking uh, for myself, my meat and potatoes husband, and my young kids uh, in a plant-based way. I bought every vegan cookbook I could find on the market, and I painstakingly learned a lot of lousy meals along the way, how to cook from the produce and grain sections of the grocery store. And after a while, the food got good and better, and I got a little more confidence in the plant-based kitchen. And at a certain point, I was pregnant with my third child, and I said, I want a corned beef pastrami sandwich that I hadn't had in many, many years. And, and there was nothing like that on the market. And the existing deli meat that was on the market, like there's a well-known brand called Tofurky. They've been around since 1980. Uh, no real innovation of taste or texture, and certainly wasn't satisfying my New York deli palate. So uh, I sought out to recreate it. I didn't think it would be a business. I just thought it would be something for my home kitchen, something that we could enjoy. And I wanted to use really wholesome ingredients because I was growing a human. So in my Vitamix blender, I put beets, chickpeas, and tomatoes. I Googled the brines and spices that was in real corned beef. And I used a little bit of wheat protein, which is the protein part of the wheat grain. So really wholesome ingredients. Uh, and I made this corned beef analog in my home uh, oven. And friends and family said to me, Jenny, this is so delicious. It's not a recipe. It's a business. And so uh, that's kind of the foundation for Unreal Deli. Wow. So I, I want to go back a little bit because you mentioned that part of um see part of your finding, you know, Torah and becoming more observant in your Judaism was that that led to you becoming vegan, which is actually a, like a very unusual type sure. of journey. There are plenty of people who become vegan for ethical reasons, and there are plenty of people who become Jewish for what you know, any of a million you know, reasons yes. or become more observant. Um, but the two don't usually go hand in hand. And we know that like the Torah has no problem with us eating meat, probably may have an issue with some of the factory farming, but that's a different, you know, a, a different kind of issue. I'm curious for you was, were the two very linked in your brain? Like this idea of like, if you had a farm with cows that you could raise exactly how you wanted to, would you feel okay eating that meat? Or is it a little bit different for you? Yeah, really good question. So first of all, 
you know, God makes it overwhelmingly clear on E1 episode, season one, episode one in the Torah there of I give you every seed bearing tree and fruit and grass and herb. And in fact, there are 18,000 edible seeds, herbs, grass, uh, you know, fruits, vegetables, legumes that, that we can eat. And that is the Bereshit diet. And many Many, many Kabbalists and, and not just Kabbalists, I know Ralph Cook and others have said that this is going to be the, the Olam Haba diet as well. Okay, so this is like the old school diet and that this will be the upcoming diet. Uh, and in fact, I think it's very clear in the Midrash that God was like, I don't really want you eating meat, but all right, we're going to make the concession. I almost felt like it was a way that God was like, I don't want to make you feel so abnormal next to the rest of the society. We're going to let you get in on a little bit of this. So so I, I, many believe that it was a kind of a concession. It wasn't necessarily the actual emphasis for how we really should be eating. In fact, the fact that meat and milk are meant to be separate, it's it's in a sense saying like both of these things are somewhat toxic. It's way more toxic to bring them together and keep them apart. And so that to me was one hint as to this really isn't the ideal diet for humankind, for Jews especially. And so, uh, and also when I was living in Jerusalem, I was learning at this Karlbach yeshiva that was very, very spiritual. And one of the things that I learned was how, uh, how the world is like a, actually a holograph and that everything impacts everything else. And so you can't really like, you know, uh, like everything is, is basically connected. And so we can't cause all of this harm to like these sweetheart animals and then just think we're going to put this trauma into our bodies and like, go on living a perfectly happy day, like good food, good mood. And, and it turns out that our bellies are connected to our brains, uh, you know, physiologically. And so you can't really just create that lobotomy. As for having a cow that I raised myself, it's kind of like the argument of saying, if I had a golden retriever that lived this beautiful life in my home, would I one day say, let's make a great lasagna. We're gonna use this golden retriever. It's like saying that, because the cows, just like the dogs, they want belly scratches. They'll run after a ball. They wanna be companions to you. They're gentle. And the reason that we actually take cows, chickens, pigs, and slaughter them is because they're the most gentle animal that aren't going to fight back. In fact, a dog even would go and kill a bird, you know, has those canine teeth. Cows are completely blunt teeth, just like us. They would never hurt anything. So it's all the more reason that even if I had them to raise myself, I, I wouldn't do this. I don't think I could. In fact, I don't think that most people could, even especially if they got to know the animal, because the truth is that they're really all sweethearts and they're all going to love you just as much as a dog ever has. I hear that. Yeah, I, I hear that. Listen, I eat meat and like and so like there's there's definitely a chasm between um, yeah. between the the ideals here. But that's fine. You know, to each yeah. to each their own. But what I'm so curious about is so you you're familiar with this plant based cooking and you are craving this corned beef and you create yes. this corned beef analog. There is a huge gap between I have something yummy in my own kitchen and yeah, right. and having a product. That's right. Out in the universe that other people can buy, um, yes. especially, by the way, when you mentioned like you're pregnant with your third child, you have a lot going on in your life. So talk That's to right. me about that process. Yes. What was, yeah. you know, uh, did you have to perfect the formula first? Did you how did how did you work through everything about, you know, you know, forming the the product and the business? Yeah, good question. So uh, so I was continuing to tinker with the recipe in order that I could make it scalable. For instance, in the early days, I was using a an ingredient called like sherry wine. And that, number one, it's hard to make that kosher. All of our meats are CRC kosher uh, to have like a wine ingredient. And also it's very expensive. So I wound up, you know, Googling and playing substitute and apple cider vinegar is actually a great substitute and a really healthy 
uh, ingredient. So we swapped that for that. And there were many other substitutions, spices and things that had to get consolidated and changed throughout the a couple of months. Um, but from the outset, I, uh, I had my my mother-in-law said to me, um, Mrs. Go her name, my last name is Goldfarb, and that comes from my, my husband. And so my mother-in-law to me is like the ultimate Mrs. Goldfarb. And she said to me, you're Mrs. Goldfarb. Mrs. Goldfarb should have a corned beef business. I said, yeah, Mrs. she should. So that was kind of where Mrs. Goldfarb's came from. And then my husband said, you know, it's, it's corned beef, but it's unreal. It's like so good that it's unreal. So then Unreal Deli came to that. And for $11.99, I got that domain Unreal Deli. And then I reached out to a number of friends that I knew in just like the vegan world in Los Angeles. And I said, do you know anyone that has a food item that I could pick their brains and see how they actually got it into the marketplace? So that's like step number one. Uh, and so this lovely woman I knew told me about this couple that had a, like a dips and spreads business. I went to meet them. I brought them a sandwich. We signed an NDA, not that I had really anything to my name except for the sandwich. And, uh, I said to them, they said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want to start making it and selling it. And they said, you know, we have a tiny commercial kitchen here for 25 bucks an hour. You can take it over a couple of days a week and start cooking it and see if you, if you could sell it. So from that moment on, I was in commerce. But, you know, even if that hadn't taken, I would have found another little commercial kitchen to rent. That's about what they go for, 25 bucks an hour. And uh, once I started making it, I would bring the ingredients and my Vitamix and my big belly and I would cook all in one long day after dropping my kids at preschool and I would wash the dishes. And then in the days that I didn't do that, I would drive around Los Angeles to try and sell it. And my proof of concept was, can I sell this at the old school iconic delis that haven't taken on a new menu item in like a hundred years. And if I could sell it there and we could see rapid reorders, then I could probably sell it anywhere because no one knows good corned beef better than those guys. So I wound up a uh, cold calling, figuring out, you know, there were days I'd call it'd be like one 30 and one deli owner was like, how dare you call during lunchtime? I hung up the phone and I was like, my tail was between my legs. And I said, all right, we're calling at 2.30 PM now, you know, like, I have my strategy, like every single thing you're learning from learning from. And then the real, I, I started off where I'd be like, hey, my name is Jenny and I became plant-based and I have the, made this great product and it's going to bring in all these new customers and can I bring you by a sample? And I remember one time some guy goes, we taste samples. And I was like, oh, that's all I have to say. Do you taste the sample? I don't have to give any of that spiel. I can give it to him when I see him or later or not at all, you know, but do you taste sample? That's the only question. So finally I got my, you know, my butt in the door and I brought samples to all these deli owners and they realized A, it was delicious and B, they had, they were missing out on clientele by not having this on the menu. Specifically, teenage girls and college-age daughters that uh, would tell the whole family, "We're not eating at this place because they don't have anything for me. We're going to go to this place because there's salads and other things on the menu for me." So, this allowed them to take advantage of bringing in entire parties they might otherwise lose. So, we got onto all these menus of all these big delis, and I knew a lady who uh, who would who had a an ice cream business and. I met with her just to pick her brain because she had like a several million dollar ice cream business. And in the meeting, it was a very generic meeting. Oh, how'd you grow it? Who were your first hires? Whatever, whatever. As I'm walking out the door, I said, by the way, might you know a, a cooking, like a commercial kitchen that I could like have them make it for me? And I said, I'm kind of looking for a bakery because my item is like wet, mixing wet and dry ingredients and baking it. She goes, I totally know someone that you can meet. And even if it's not her, she'll know someone for you. Anyway, I met that woman, a Jewish woman and she wound up being my co-packer it's called a food manufacturer and so i was really off to the races at that point that was like the middle of 2019 oh so we are like just pre-pandemic yeah yeah should i keep okay. going 
Yeah, let's please. It's it's only just getting good. Exactly, exactly. So I I'm I'm at a point where I'm able to wear button down shirts. I'm not getting my hands bloody with beet juice, and uh, I have a lady cooking it for me. It's her team, of course, and uh, and I have the delis that are churning away. And meanwhile, I'm stalking our local Whole Foods regional office. I'm emailing them constantly. I'm sending them physical mail. I'm leaving them voicemails. Finally, somebody says, we'll taste the sample. So I get a sample in the door. They don't want me in the door. They'll just take a sample. Fine. Uh, and they told me about a few weeks later, we really liked it. We'd like to try and do something with it. That like could have kept me going for years, but it did actually have to keep me going for months because they didn't respond to me for like several months after that. When they finally said... We're going to bring on a pre-made sandwich into the 62 Southern Pacific stores. So we're going to make like a, like a Reuben sandwich and be like a to-go or whatever. And so that was like, oh, wow, we're really on the map now. And once I had Whole Foods and the delis and the food manufacturer, I said, let's just go for the gold and reach out for Shark Tank. Mm. So I applied online. There are a couple of ways to go about it. You can go and stand in like an all-day hotel yeah. and in person, which there's probably some merit to that physical experience. But um, but I just did a 30-second digital application. On it, I put my domain on realdeli.com. At the time, I think the reason that I quick, so quickly got on the show is I had this video that was right there smack dab in the middle of my homepage that basically said, my name's Mrs. Goldfarb, and I come from 100 years of New York Deli history, and I created the world's finest, yada, yada, and then we're on the street sampling it to people, pre-pandemic, of course, and uh, and people were loving it. And so I think that when the Shark Tank producers saw that, they said, okay, there's my segment. They just made my job easy, you know? Right. So, so had this video, applied for Shark Tank, quickly got an email back from the producers, several... Uh, you know, interview stages, handwritten applications, video applications to actually get yourself on the show. I had an air date within six weeks of that. And uh, in the middle of September, I had this tape day with uh, Mark Cuban made an investment for more than double the cash I was asking for, which is a little bit unheard of on the show. It's like almost never happens on the show. And uh, I came out of that with Cuban as a partner, and I felt like I made this landmark deal. And we were at the time getting very big in food service. Food service means like anywhere that you're selling, like restaurants or delis or stadiums, arenas, colleges, anything like that, hospitals, anywhere you eat a meal outside the home is known as food service. And uh, so not retail, food service. And uh, we were doing a bunch of tests at some uh, different sub chains, and they were going really well. We were going to have some big nationwide expansions. And then COVID hit. As soon as COVID hit, uh, my beloved dad, who's been very involved in the business ever, uh, you know, from the beginning, came down with COVID so badly. He was on a ventilator for 28 days. And that same week that that, that he got on a ventilator, we had this big nationwide expansion with Quiznos that got like the pull, the, the plug up pulled on that. So it was like a really devastating time, personally and professionally. But my father miraculously recovered. He got a plasma donation on the eighth day of Passover in 2020 and miraculously survived COVID. And the business miraculously survived because we pivoted into retail. Uh, we realized that the retail game was bonkers. Everyone was shopping at the grocery store. No one was going out to eat. We needed to create that small package and do all of the testing that was required to, to get that pack on shelves. So we created our first retail packaging for the corned beef, but we also acknowledge that we can't have that one package alone on shelves. It'll get swallowed up by the whole shelf. No one will know about it. We need to create a real line. And we felt like there was reason to create a line because instead of it being like 
fake Franken meats, we're using real vegetables. We literally start all of our meats with a vegetable smoothie. So we said, let's take that same idea instead of beets, chickpeas, and tomatoes that's in the corned beef, let's use white beans, celery, and onion, in, and make a turkey. Let's take lentils and mushrooms and onions and make a steak, type, like a roast beef type of product. So we have these three meats, uh, corned beef, turkey, and what we call steak slices. That's in over 3,500 grocery doors today. If you go to unrealdeli.com, you'll be able to look up where the store nearest to you. We also ship across the country, but but it's easier to find a small pack in your store. And uh, and we're now coming out with Unreal Bacon. And Unreal Bacon is going to be made with uh, butternut squash and baba beans. It tastes like the real thing. Unfortunately, I had the real thing before becoming kosher. And so uh, I can vouch that it's super authentic and crazy delicious. And so that's going to be our, our newest meat coming really soon. And so, uh, yeah. Today, we're in over 3,000 doors. I have a team of about 10 full-time employees. Uh, we are growing right now back into food service that we had to kind of abandon during COVID. So we're getting into thousands of college campuses this academic year. Um, we're also launching in a, a grocery store called HEB throughout Texas and Giant Eagle uh, in the Midwest. And, uh, and we're also going to be launching in Walmart this year. So we have a uh, a lot of exciting launch plans coming and uh, new meats even beyond the bacon that are going to be coming out. And so uh, it's very much a dream come true. It does not come without tons of stresses. I feel like the bullets are constantly flying. There are a thousand ways to get in trouble and to be, you know, whatever, uh, you know, things that could take you down. So it doesn't come without a tremendous amount of stress. But uh Overall, I've I've grown so much as a person, as a mother. The fact that my children get to look up and see this, you know, that their mom, that this is just normal that moms do this. I have three daughters. It's very meaningful that they, of course, mom's a CEO. It's just obvious, you know. So, uh, so it's really an amazing thing. And uh, anyway, thank you for the opportunity to share my story, Rivki. My pleasure. I'm. I, I'd love to talk more about this idea of mom as a CEO because this is something yeah. that I. I struggle with and there are times when I find that like I have a real great groove going and there are other times when less so. Um, but, you know, you started this business, like you said, when you were you started the process when you were pregnant with your third daughter. What what has that what what has that balance looked like for you? I hate that word so much, but whatever it's like work life balance. That's that's the phrase that everybody yeah. uses. What yeah. how how has that process been like for you and how do you kind of keep it maintain an equilibrium with all the different parts of your life sure so uh you know i was very much pregnant throughout the whole beginning of the business um i call that baby still my unreal baby he's <laughs> <laughs> in there it's funny uh my my big girls love eating the turkey but my my little girl will eat the corned beef even though it's quite spicy you know like it has like all sorts of wild spices in it and it's because she was eating that in utero forever <laughs> Well, she's now four today and will down that corned beef like you can't even believe it. Uh, but um, but she was two and a half months old when I was on Shark Tank. So like real little girls, you know, during this whole time. And honestly, the best balance that I can claim is Shabbat. You know, that's like mm -hmm. the one day that my children know I'm not sitting in this chair that I'm sitting in right now talking to you, Rivki. Uh you know, I, I really fully unplug. Uh, my my team knows that they can reach my husband, who's not quite as observant of me if anything's melting down. But otherwise, I'm like completely off the grid, uh, of course, along with the holidays. So I feel like Shabbat is my biggest work-life balance. I also am generally not working much after like I'd say about 6 p.m. So they have hmm. me in the evenings. I'm not like, you know, a, I'm not sitting working on new emails. Like if I have to respond to something, I will in the evenings. But generally, they have me 
I try to work an Israeli schedule, so I do like to put in a half a day on Sunday. Uh, but um, but other than that, uh, I feel like, uh, you know, them seeing me doing this is inspiring for them. And also I'm able to carve out time to be with them. I'm also a big believer that each of them needs a little bit of alone time with me every day. So it's not just like, all right, I put the computer away. I'm just generally in the kitchen area with the kids. It's like, no, I have to like sit down with each of them for like 10 minutes and get in there, even if we're not talking, talking, but we're just, we're just playing one-on-one -on -one with them. So I'm really dedicated into that. And, uh, and Shabbat is for sure the great equalizer. Yeah, it's it really is. And it's I remember um when I first when I hired my first um remote worker who was not familiar with Shabbos that I like I I explained it to them. And then I and I said I was like, so if you'd like to, you know, email me or something, you can. I'll see it afterwards. And they were like, that is the coolest thing ever. I think I'm gonna try it. I was like, highly recommend. Highly recommend. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone it, needs this. Yeah. yeah, it's it's such a great way to, uh, you know, I always find that I have my best conversations on Shabbos because because you're able to focus. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like a whole nother world. And also like just this mentality that like it's all done, like as though I sold the business. It's already everything's like it's already happened. So now like you take this weight off every week, like nothing matters now. Now is the day to just be. I remember hearing some study once that like if someone had if, if folks were given an eighth day of the week. What would they do during that day? And people are answering, I'd pick up more dry cleaning. I'd do more chores. It's like, no, no, no. Relax. Take it really off the grid. Be who you really want to be on this day. So anyway, I'm a huge believer. And in fact, for a lot of years, when I started doing Shabbat, uh, you know, as a Balshuva, my earlier years, I remember it was like so much about like the outside. Like I was like, you know, making sure not to rip this or do that. Or it was like all about like the external. And then, you know, years went by and I'm not, quite as orthodox as I was in those earliest days. But now I feel like it's so much more internal. Like I'm also not ripping stuff on the outside, but but knowing that on the inside, I'm like, everything's already done. Like I'm imagining that like world peace has already happened. Like you can be in your own, you know, like Mashiach head state, uh, headspace on that day if you, if you can get there, if you're creative enough, you know? So that's really my internal work on Shabbat and, and how I, anyway, try to live each, each week. Yeah. I love that. And I also love the idea of, of, of like really shutting the computer, you know, like you said, by like six o'clock for me, it's always between daycare pickup and bedtime. I just like, I just tell everyone I don't work then. I, I don't work then. I'm a fashion designer. I'm not a heart surgeon. There are no emergencies that cannot wait until yes. after bedtime. <laughs> like it, we will all survive. We'll be fine. Um, uh, the fashion police is spicy though. They are. It's true. Yeah. And they can wait until after bedtime. Exactly. <laughs> there's no, there's, there's no reason to, you know, to create um, urgency where it doesn't need to be. Right. You mentioned that you're coming out with a kosher bacon, which yes. I will admit I've kept kosher my whole life, but I'm a big fan of those faken products. They are all yes. delicious. I'm curious because sometimes we've heard that like the kosher certification could sometimes be a little bit tricky on items that are yeah. called bacon. Like what has your yeah. experience been with that? Uh, my experience was I knew that the OU and some others had given impossible pork problems. And so when I reached out to the CRC to say, Hey guys, we got our latest meat. We're going to start sending in all the ingredient spec sheets. I made sure to say to them, 
here's, I wish I said to them, I wish we could be the first kosher bacon, but there are a few others on the market already. So Sweet Earth is a company that makes a bacon that has the OU on it. So I made sure to send them other examples so they didn't think this was questionable. And then I also made sure to say, I'm so excited that Jewish people that otherwise might eat bacon are now going to eat our bacon and, and not eat non-kosher food. So I thought I was also kind of getting them on that point. And anyway, we got it with flying colors. Uh, Unreal Bacon is already hectored CRC kosher and will be coming out in September. Oh, that's fantastic. So like really wasn't even a stressful process for you. Uh, I was like nervous going in, but I made sure to craft the email in such a way. And they said, all right, yeah, I mean, there are other bacons that have that, the symbol. So why, why not? So that's right. how it went. Right. So, yes. you know, what's, what's so big about this one? That's fantastic. I'm so glad that yeah. that was not an issue yeah. for you. Do you find yeah. that most of your customers, I don't know if there's even possible for you to know this, but do you find that most of your customers are primarily vegan? Uh, most or like exclusively vegan? I mean, most of our customers are flexitarian, which is like an overwhelming percentage of folks in the United States these days. Uh, it's like something like 60% of people, even if they don't know that term, they are. And basically all it means is that they're not eating meat at every meal. So they might eat meat, you know, once a day or twice a week or something like that, but they're not eating it at every meal. In like the 1950s and 60s, it was like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, meat was served. And so uh, that's that, how long that the they're not eating it just like they just happen to not be eating it or they are consciously choosing not to eat it. They're choosing not to eat it. It's not necessarily for animal welfare or for ecological reasons or for health reasons, but there's like just so much like avocados are so delicious and people are making toasts and there's just different things. It used to be like meat was like what you ate, you know, you'd have like a, a steak with a glass of milk. I mean, not in the kosher world, but that was like a 1950s dinner, you know, and, and in breakfast, there'd be sausage links and in lunch, there'd be a tur real turkey on that sandwich. And so it just, food has shifted a bit. And so there's like, Anyway, there's some a lot of choices being made that have been trending, you know, uh, away from from a very meat based diet. And so most of our consumers are educated women uh, that are considered flexitarian. So the vegans, of course, will be in our corner all day long. Vegetarians will love our meats. But flexitarians is really this demographic we're really mostly seeking out. So, yeah, that's funny. As you describe it, I guess that I technically fit into that category, even though I never would have thought about it that yeah. way. I am highly lactose intolerant because I am an Ashkenazi Jew. So also because you're not a baby cow. Right. That too. Um, <laughs> but so I've tried a, a bunch of these different types of like mostly the dairy products, like the vegan yeah. cheeses and that kind yes. of thing to and, and some of them are better than others. And it's and it's it's very interesting to see how there can be such a variation across different like the different approaches to you know, even like you mentioned, impossible foods, that's a very different kind of meat than what than what you're talking about and and everything that goes around that. Aside from the fact that you were just craving it at the time, was there a reason why it felt important to do deli meat specifically? You know, I wanted it personally. And then uh and I and I had this like deli history that I knew, which was just kind of added a lot of flavor to the branding. Um but I actually had started a, uh, a vegan food blog because I was so excited about having taken on this lifestyle and cooking this way for my family. And I saw my kids getting sick way less often. It seemed like they were catching colds on the old diet, like every five, six weeks, my young preschool, little kinder, first grade aged kids, they were getting sick constantly. And once I cut out the dairy and the meat, I felt like we could go 12 weeks without a cold. And when we got that cold, it wasn't like in the pediatrician's office with amoxicillin. It was like two days of sniffles. So I was really like amazed that this diet had like changed our lives. Uh, my husband and I also like lost a couple pounds. Everyone was sleeping better. My skin was better. Like 
I felt like there were so many benefits that I wanted to share that with the world. And so I created a vegan food blog called Count Your Colors. And we made about 40 video recipes with my little daughter sitting on the countertop helping. And so I was knee deep in all these different cookbooks, always trying to come up with like a new spin on this or that and new kinds of ways of making, you know, regular food, plant-based and delicious and showing everyday moms and busy people how doable and delicious vegan food could be. So uh, so that was already a big part of my passion. And so that's what led up to this business because I was so deep in all these cookbooks and figuring out ways of putting things together. I made this recipe and I thought this recipe was just going to be for my food blog. And friends were like, whoa, 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 don't share this recipe. This is its own thing. Stop right now. <laughs> that's not a success, that food blog. This is going to be. So, so if you were paying attention at the right. right time, you could have stolen the Unreal Deli corned beef recipe from the blog. Exactly. Exactly. You made it yourself, right? Oh, I I hope someone yeah. did it for themselves yeah. and made it at home just to see how, how good it is before going out to, to buy it. Has there been something about this whole process that has really surprised you? I mean, I feel like every day I'm surprised by things, but um, but honestly, my capacity to to like to learn on the job and to figure it out as we go and to have come in this with no experience and to have built it to this point is honestly amazing to me. I mean, even if it like when I went away tomorrow, I would say like, look what happened there. Like what a story. So, um, so I'm kind of amazed by that. It makes me think that like I can do anything. Women can do anything. Moms can do anything. So that's surprising to me. Yeah. Unfortunately. I yeah, unfortunately, but it's it's one of those things that you just have to kind of work through in your own head, because yeah. I think that we get so caught up in this one idea of like what a mom looks like or what a woman right. in business looks like or what a woman looks like. And then having to rejigger that can be a little bit tricky. Exactly. When you think about, you know, where Unreal Delhi is headed and what you want to, uh, you know, what do you want to accomplish with it? What do you where do you see that going? Where do you see, you know, Unreal Delhi and, and Mrs. Goldfarbs as a whole in a couple of years from now? I see us becoming a major international plant based food company. Um, I uh, I see Yes, getting into many more retail doors. I'm really excited to launch on university campuses. I know that this demographic is already like super friendly to this lifestyle and wants to vote with their dollar and eat this way already. So I'm really excited for that expansion. I'm excited to bring this product into other countries, including Israel. Uh, Israel, by the way, has the largest vegan population in the entire world per capita. So really? it's uh, Yes, yes, it does. Yeah. Uh, oh, cool. Mostly comes Tel Aviv, but within the whole country, it's the largest number of vegans in the world per capita. And so that's an amazing thing. Um, actually, there was a uh, there was a sign, like a huge billboard like on the freeway and like the main freeway in Tel Aviv years ago that had a mama cow and a baby cow like kissing each other. And it said in Hebrew, this is the first day and the last day that they will ever kiss each other because in the dairy industry, they take baby cows away from their mom the day they're born. It's one of the harrowing truths behind animal agriculture. And so uh, just to say that this knowledge has been very much in the forefront forefront of, of Israeli society. In fact, there's a, a really cutting commercial that they came out with recently in Israel, whereby this gorgeous looking young couple in Tel Aviv go into the grocery store and they say in Hebrew, of course, we want to get some lamb fresh, super fresh. And the guy behind the counter goes fresh. You want fresh, fresh. And then the guy's like the freshest you got. And then they call in the back, the freshest lamb they got, the fresh, freshest one. And they bring out from the back, 
this baby lamb living and breathing and they hand it to the lady and the lady's holding it like what and it tells a big story right there right like who really wants the response when we're killing a baby lamb you know nobody so uh anyhow just to say that uh israeli society has been hip to this for some time and, and it's only growing there so i'm excited to bring our meats there and really all across the world so uh yeah. What do you think it is specifically about Israeli society that makes them so much more likely to be vegan? That's such a that's such a random thing. I mean, falafel's great and all, but like so is shawarma. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I think that that, uh, that in Israel, there's just like a you know, look, we've always as Jews been like on the forefront of a lot of social justice campaigns throughout the world. Right. I mean, when Martin Luther King like did his march, he had like rabbis like right next to him in his like famous march. Like Jews have always had this sensitivity. I think it's because we are a light unto the nations and we're here to like broadcast like what's the best way to be in this world? What's the most ethical way to be? What's the way to be closest to God in this world? And because of that, we've, you know, been oftentimes the ones who said, this isn't right. I'm calling this out. This doesn't work. And so, you know, a lot of American Jews are also vegan, like myself, but also, you know, in Israel and, and in other places. So I think we've, we just like have this kind of like pulse, you know, in us saying like, hey, this doesn't work. Wait, let's speak up on that. And we're, we're happy to be the outspoken ones, if you haven't noticed. And so I think that's part of the reason why. Outspoken Jews? No, never. Yeah, never. <laughs> <laughs> this has been such a fun conversation. Uh, if somebody wants to learn more about you or about Unreal Deli, where can they go? They should go to unrealdeli.com or follow us on Instagram at Unreal Deli. I'm also on there personally as Mrs. Goldfarb. And uh, yeah, please. Awesome. I'm going to link all of that in the show notes so that it's very easy to find. Uh, and to end off, can you tell me what it means to you to make an impact? Um, What does it mean to make an impact? I think it really is to be a Jew. I think it's one and the same. I think it means like uh, that we have this kind of soul imprint that's here in this world to literally transcend this world and to and to take this physical space and, and make it holy. So I, I, I think it's pretty simple, uh, becoming one with God and, 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 and raising up each opportunity that we have with our children, with our spouses, with our neighbors when, I, when we're in uncomfortable situations i'm a i'm a big follower of rebbe nachman and so uh you know any chance we have to like find the good in situations and people this is how we make our imprints and it, and, it, and it can happen every day every hour i love that thank you so much for coming on today jenny i really appreciate it rifki great to meet you thanks for the awesome interview have a great day thanks for listening if you'd like to learn more about jenny her links are in the show notes on last week's episode i spoke with barry mitzman and ariel selkin about the small business climate right now Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Be Impactful Podcast is a project of impact fashion. The clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 28 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 19 people listed by Oragunote as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fedman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzwitz. Catch me on all the socials, including TikTok at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together. <laughs>